I know that this space that we're sitting in um, has witnessed many things, much joy, much happiness, but also probably many tears of regret and remorse, because on a retreat, I wish this place has witnessed many of Our minds tend to drift back to things we've done, haven't done, and uh, we have a very special opportunity uh, on this uh, last day to continue our inquiry into the aging process, the, the thoughts that come, memories that come up in our practice, and an opportunity to share that with others. So I hope that's been the case in your smaller groups, and um, I hope you're able to share, feel free to share some of it in the larger group as we get to know one another and feel comfortable and safer in the space that we've created by the way we've been present. Hopefully you'll feel safer and more comfortable. Uh, I always find the last day of uh, an event like this um, both uh, very heartwarming, but also sad, because I know it's going to come to an end. <laughs> uh, so it's our sort of last opportunity, in a way, as a group that we've formed to, to be together and, and see what comes up. So we have our roaming flower, Mike, uh, and uh, if you'd like to say something, do feel free to contribute. Christine, thank you. Thank you, Ricky. First of all, I apologize to the groups that have already heard this, um, but what I wanted to share was about when you can no longer say, sorry, uh, what you want to say, it's too late. Mm -hmm. And um, this is very much related to my parents. Uh, I was born in the East End of London in a political family my parents were socialists, and they brought me up, as they thought, as atheists, to be free. I was a free person, but I actually chose to follow a spiritual life, and I left at 17, mm. and that rift meant that I lost m my entire biological family. And the sadness for me is that... Um, I love them so very, very much, and I am so grateful to them for their humanitarian principles. They've given me so much, and they've given me so much on my spiritual journey as well, because it, it's always made me um, look at the form and the teachings, and always to go for the heart, the teachings. It's one of the ways that I've worked for a resolution with this. I'm very fond of the Metta practice, and quite often I dedicate my meditation to my parents. I don't know whether they're alive or dead, but I feel by doing this that one day they will actually know how much I love them. So.
In our group, we um, moved on to the question of forgiveness. And what came up for me very strongly was, and it, it really was reflected by the people in the group, was that life is not actually a fairy tale and that sometimes, however much you would like to achieve reconciliation and closure and for there to be healing, some things really are beyond um, getting to that stage. And there, as with lots of aspects of the practice, can be a big difference between um, wanting things to be otherwise and actually being at peace with how things are. And when it comes to forgiveness and awful things having happened, um, what strikes me with, say, some of the children I work with is that they've had such awful lives by the time they're 10 or 15 or 20 that um, you couldn't ever expect them to forgive what people have done to them. And all they can ever do is just accept that that has been their lot. And on another level, I think that applies to lots of the things that have happened to us, that it's so tempting to slide into, um, into the belief of a happy ending, a kind of Hollywood version of reality. And in actual fact, life, and maybe it's, it's an aspect of aging and an aspect of um, maturing, whether you're a Buddhist or not, that you come to see you have to perhaps ex accept the shape things are rather than how you would like them to be. Thank you very much. Yes, sister. <clears throat> Regarding to your story about your, your parent, it happened to me too. The separation, me from my husband, which I do not know until now whether he's alive or dead. Yeah, I have to raise children three by myself. Uh, you just receive, I always remember receive a note say, honey, you must leave the country. I shall stay. When the country in peace, we will see each other again. Cambodian now in peace, so which means that I never see him. But I still, you know, from my practice, the, the, the right away, I cannot come into this life, but I know Buddhism can help. So during the working time to raise children, I already tend toward find a solution to help myself. Like you, you, you left the family and then you miss so much. I miss my parents too because I left when I was 12. In this case, just only last year that I, we make something, the whole family with the children. Children also don't know. The, the older one just do not want to talk anything about daddy mm -hmm. because he only cares for his people, not us. That's how my older son, that who knows when he separated from his father when he was 13 years old. He was in the United States and he called us, Daddy have to move, to move out because the American going to withdraw from Cambodia. But the father said, he didn't know so much thing, I know things. He trusts, you know, that the Khmerus can come in and we can negotiate and talk, you see. But they don't talk. I come in, I, I win, you know. You are the loser. You have to listen to me what to do. So what, what we did is the last year, everybody have to, the children involved too, will make a big you know, offering to the 
the monks during the Katina, we sponsor a Katina. So that way, after that, I heard the children also, they were so pleased. When our daddy leave, where our, whether he, he died or he already reborn, receive our blessing. Yeah. And I refused when, I, when, when people said, why don't you say they have so, some people can see the spirit, where does it go? You know, you can see that in Cambodia, in, in Thailand, or in Vietnam, they believe in that. Mm -hmm. I refuse it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see it. He already alive in my heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't believe it. If he die, and I want to die, how he die? Mm -hmm. I don't want to know those. I, the, the, I can see his face in front of me mm -hmm. during that time that, honey, you must leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I also believe that the way that way you did, I think, is he will receive it. He will receive that. I can give you just a little bit, one more story that for you. Um, I just read a book from a master of meditation. And there was one person who was very devoted to uh, Buddhism. He was only 56 years old, dying. He requests to have that teacher come to his bed. And he asked, keep asking him, what do you see in your meditation? During that, you know, you are too young to, leave, to, to die. Stay here. Then what do you see? He said, oh, I saw my parent who came. In, in, my parent died a long time ago who came in his vision. And then the master said, oh, in that case, just we, 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 we gave him the five precepts. Send it to your parent. Now listen. And he chanted the five precepts. And then what happened later, he asked again. They already received. They're happy. They're already gone. I just want to tell you that the, through that master that I believe, master in meditation, he guided that guy out at the end that guy was liberated, he died peacefully. Yeah, thank you. This, thank you, darling. This does actually follow on from what Tony said in that um, what became apparent from our sharing within the group um, was just how common to our human condition brokenness and lack of wholeness within relationship and family uh, is. How very, very common. Um, and that um, there was a sense in which a lot of the remorse and the pain and the suffering is about our sense that we should be able to fix what is broken. And I remembered uh, the words of the reflections, it is nature. Mm -hmm. It is our nature. It is our nature to be broken, unsatisfactory, unfinished, messy, sticky, unresolved. But some of the more uh, hopeful ways people learn to deal with these um, broken situations were to not feed, not feed the negative, not feed the, um, the remorse, not feed the hatred or the bitterness, 
but to try to stay with keeping a space in your heart um, which is at least open or loving or forgiving if you can as much or as little as you are able to so that there may be a time when some especially with other people who you have no control over that you have to trust that perhaps they have the seeds within them for their own liberation their own mm. time when they may have the insight mm. to be able to resolve something mm. and, and heal mm. with you um, so there was a, a, a sort of sense that one of the main sufferings we have as human beings are broken connections and broken connections where we don't have a chance of repairing them in life. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Rosie. Well, it was, it was prompted from you, Catherine, about saying you don't know when you're going to die. Um, and I remembered, it was a long time ago now, but I went on this training course with Cruise, which is an organisation that helps people who are bereaved. And um, we were all very excited. And um, there was about 20 of us. And uh, it started off with, we had to walk round the room at random and then the woman would suddenly say stop and when she said stop you had to find a partner which was the person nearest you and then you would share with them about yourself for you know so it's three minutes each something like that and so I'd found someone who was very similar to me which I think often happens doesn't it in these groups you find someone who's got similar things in common and we were really busy talking about things and then she suddenly said, stop again. And I thought, well, I'm not ready to stop. I'm in the middle of a sentence. She said, no, stop. Death is like that, she said. It interrupts. And as she said that, it's like I got a shock in my solar plexus. And I thought, my God, I'd always thought that I'd be ready to die, that I would be on the deathbed or I'd be prepared or I would have a few minutes or my life would pass before my eyes or something. But it might not. It might just completely interrupt what I was doing. Mm. And um, I never completed the course because I was a counsellor. <laughs> I had too much going on. I was overloaded. So I didn't carry on and become a cruise counsellor. But I never forgot that moment. And it made me change my life, actually, because it made me realise I've got to be up to date. Mm. Because I never <laughs> knew. <laughs> I never knew when... <laughs> The axe was going to fall. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rosie. How do you use it? Just talk into it. A little bit nearer, a little bit nearer. Okay. A little bit nearer. I don't want to uh, actually say what I said in our group. I just want to say a big thank you for organizing this seminar in this way and giving us all a chance to talk in small groups. And I think in our group, we've had a lot, people have said an awful lot. 
we all know a little bit more about each other. We, didn't, we were complete strangers, I think, when we met. And it's partly drew, due to our facilitator, I'm quite certain. So obviously facilitators were chosen very carefully. And I think um, a great thank you must go to you and all the people involved in this. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you very much, Joel. Thank you. Can the mic make its way back to the... Okay. If you don't mind waiting. Okay, fine. Go with the flow. I just would like to touch on that. Thank you so much to everyone. It's been absolutely exceptional, the way it's all been run. And the space is like a sanctuary in which we can express ourselves in a very open, connected way. And I feel really grateful for that. Thank you, Ajang Amaro, for being here. And thank you, Nick, and everybody else, which I may not remember the names, but thank you. Thank you, Judith. Thank you. Can the microphone make its way back? I don't know your name. Kim. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, no, I, is it on? Yes, it is. Just <laughs> hold it near really your mouth. You can't hear yourself. Um, no, it's just when you were talking, Rosie, it just sparked something for me of an exercise I had to do um, and uh, a long time ago. And it, the actual topic was living your dying. And in the exercise, we had to... Um, we had to sit and, and get in the centre and then have north-west-east-south positions. And those p positions had to represent something you were very attached to, be it your children or, you know, whatever that was. And then we had to go through the process of letting it go. <coughs> For me, it was very, very powerful and very painful, but it also made me think about anything that needed to be resolved too. I just wanted to share that because it was exceptionally powerful for me at the time. I, I had a lot of tissues that day. So. <laughs> Thank you. Cathy yes. here. Thank you. Just to add something to what was said um, about death may come suddenly and you can be left with um, a lot of loose ends. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just wanted to share, that was exactly my experience a few years ago. <coughs> and I was sitting on the tube train, having just left Edgware Road, and there was a sudden enormous bang. And I was sitting about 12 feet from the bomb. Mm. And the immediate thing that went through my mind was my children, my youngest child was only 12 at the time. Mm. And I thought, I've not finished what I'm here to do. I have not finished my job as a mother. That, that was the immediate thing that went through my mind. <coughs> now, fortunately for me, I am still here. So I have been able, despite having a very difficult time because I was badly injured, but recovered from that. My children are almost grown up now. Mm. But it has, it has left me with that realization that mm. you have never tied up the loose ends. You have never done all the jobs you are here to do. And all you can do is just live in 
the best and most skillful way you can and work at those jobs in the most skillful way you can. And you can't do more than that. And uh, I try now not to have that sense of that something is terribly um, wrong if I have a lot of undone things in my life. I do the best I can, and that's all one can do. Thank you, Kathy, for that sharing. Thank you. Carol. Um, just very quickly. Um, when it's my birthday, my birthday is the 10th of January. Um, I think it was one Ajahn that was here. I don't know who it was, but it was a number of years ago. So to me, it reminded me that we all have another date. So we celebrate our birthdays every year with our families and friends. But um, I usually find a quiet moment to think that there is another date on my calendar. I don't know when it will be. Mm. Um, and it's uh, a little bit like sister's coffin. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Stephen. Thank you. Catherine began her talk with the days and nights are relentlessly passing. How well am I spending my time? That hit home as it should. Um, it led me to speak up in the group. And as I began to speak, it was clear I was speaking for myself. I was giving myself a little message. Mm. Um, and um, and some almost not even it's coming emotionally I'm a bit surprised to find but it's not a bad thing I just touched again by what this Catherine said because that's so important in this context as well uh, what, what brought it up in our group was it was mentioned again by Catherine that this natural inclination we all have to attain something in the practice to get somewhere is another delusion necessary to let go of again and again but what was coming from my heart yes but there is something to aim for very important and that's what that expression that days and nights are relentlessly passing is all about we are born with work to do and every day every moment there is an opportunity to do that work and it would be a tragic shame to leave it undone when there's such a wonderful opportunity here for us and uh, it brought to mind an expression from uh, Suzuki Roshi which I shared with the group which is kind of a response to this, this statement and he simply said to his students, don't goof off. <laughs> but what Catherine shared is also important in that context. 
No, we do what we can, and it's never going to get done. But then, in the doing, every day becomes a good day to die. Mm. Thank you. Would you share something? Thank you. Uh, I can remember that Ajahn Sumedho one time said that uh, the in the room there are objects, but uh, give a be aware of the space. So I discussed that in our group. So I want you to <laughs> describe some some more. I think the group needs that uh, the space in our mind or something like that. I don't know how to explain. You've said it. You've said it. Keep, keep, keep going, please. <laughs> You're doing well. I don't know how to explain that. That means that in the mind there are anger thoughts and negative thoughts, but if we consider the space, mm -hmm. that is the awareness, and we have to improve that. <laughs> yes, very true, very true. I like more explanation. I think you, you said quite enough, Hema Mama, actually. That's, uh, that's, it was something that came up um, about the quality of mindfulness, you know, what this is pointing to. and. This is something we just have to experience, don't we? We have to explore. Um, and the teachings we get are quite cryptic. When we come across Buddhism, it sounds a bit weird, you know, a bit mm. odd. What's this pointing to? And what's beyond thoughts? Or what's this, this awareness that's being spoken about? And we have, to, we have to find out for ourselves, don't we? We have to mm -hmm. find out what the unborn is. But it's um, an exploration that I would encourage everybody to undertake um, and it's a relaxation it's an easing um, and it's a, a putting down of a burden so these are all kind of pointers to what this is you know what this teaching is pointing to thank you Chris Ricky yes please <laughs> um, funnily enough uh, this uh, days and nights are relentlessly passing by has been my mantra for the last, I don't know, since the beginning of the year, when I turned 80 in January. Mm. <laughs> um, and I have got this real sense of urgency now. It can be any minute. <laughs> Moment I get a headache or something, I wonder, is that it now? <laughs> and, uh, just recently, I met a Sri Lankan monk a couple of weeks ago, and he asked how I was, and I said, uh, I'm still around, which I usually say. He said, why do you say that? So I said, well, I just turned 80 six months ago. Um, so I said, it's, it's enough, sort of, you know, it's time to go. He said, don't say that, don't say that. Think, think of, you know, your good health and reasonable health, I won't say good health, um, and think of the time 
you have. And I kind of finished for him by saying, I can do punya things. In Sinhala, it means pink around Puluang. So he says, that, no, no, not, not punya, not to do punya, but to de live according to the Dharma. Uh, in Sinhala, it's very, very nice saying, Dharma Nukula, to stay Dharma Nukula. So th that gave me a lot to think about, and uh, I'm very grateful to that monk as well, as well as to the Amravati <laughs> uh, monks. I haven't, a lot of regrets. I haven't, a lot of stuff has happened, but I've forgotten those and I've let go. <laughs> but uh, I have looked after my mother. She had the opportunity of coming here four times uh, and be with me. We did, did our first retreat with Luampa at mm. Rogate. Uh, and at the end of it, I remember the last day, uh, we were both choked with emotion. She enjoyed it so much. She wrote to her sister saying, it's like realizing Nibbana, this mm -hmm. early morning, these two mm. monks chanting on the stage, Rogit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the whole thing, it was the first one, and it, it, it was just out of this world for both of us. And I knelt and paid, paid my respects, as we do to our parents' elders, and, uh, and asked for forgiveness. And she choked, and <laughs> I did too. And she said, you have done all that a child, a daughter could do. So when, when, when she dies, not to bother to come, spend money coming for the funeral, because what I have done when she was living is more than enough, sort of, or enough. Mm. So I have that, uh, then my sister I looked after, so I have a lot of things to be happy about, happy about. Uh, so I'm waiting. <laughs> 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 I don't know, when. that's all I have to say. But I still have this sense of urgency because children are grown up and gone, they're all in their 40s. Um, husband is okay, I think. And, but my problem is the house is so much clutter. <laughs> that that's what's worrying me. I, you know, I always think, just the other day before, the day before I came, my daughter Tanya came to see me because I was not very well. And um, she said, she didn't want me to come. She said, Mommy, remember your age, she said. You act as if you were 30. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and then I thanked her for coming to see me, and uh, she said, "I came to give you a lecture." She said, <laughs> uh, "I don't want." She said, "I don't want a policeman standing outside the door, telling there has been an accident." <laughs> so I said, "Well, be prepared for it then." And actually, <laughs> then I also told her, Tanya. We don't want to bury, we don't want the joy of burying you before we go. <laughs> so she, she didn't say anything to that. <laughs> so that's how things are. <laughs> Thank you, Ricky. Thank you. Okay, can I say now? Yes, please. Uh, me, the same thing as uh, Ruki. I have a sense of urgency 
And before I say that, I'd like to thank you for the committee who, who make the topic for the discussion is really very well done. Yeah. My subject was regret, remorse, and resolution. I hope you take it seriously because we preparing you near death. So you have to take it. Get rid of or try to solve all of those, all the regret or remorse, because that one will go be before you, uh, you don't, cannot breathe anymore. So do it. I did. I did. There was one thing that my, I had so much remorse because I hate the people, the Khmer Rouge. Ten years, for ten years, I couldn't do anything. Finally, I decided to go and say, please forgive me for that. So if you have once that one is forgiven, then you are free, a free person. Then the small things fall by itself. I used to blame people a lot. I go directly, person to person, to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. You said we have so many things to do. But when you do it, open it and finish it. Don't leave it open. Yeah? If you know that you don't have time, don't open, like writing the book. <laughs> don't open, because your mind goes into there. Yeah. That, 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 that's what I, I, I want to say and want to stress because my talk this morning, f forget that one, the regret remorse, which is a very, very important, that <coughs> try to solve that problem. My life with a coffin, Carol, every morning when I get out from my room, I always, that room were very well prepared because I don't know whether I come back or not. <laughs> this is how. Yeah, so prepare yourself, everything, you know. If you die now, fine. Every financial thing, prepare that all. Don't, don't have your, don't wait until the last minute that you can do, not do anything, and then your mind go into that, which is not healthy. Thank you. Thank you, Sister. Where is the other microphone? May I just ask? Oh, no, you've got it already. Good, thank you, Peter. I don't know how I can follow what Ajahn Bodhipala and Ruki have been saying, but um, really just wanted to reiterate um, really what Catherine brought up in her talk um, that really struck a chord with me as clearly with um, many others about um, the days and the nights are relentlessly passing, how well have I used my time, um, particularly so because um, my mother, who's now 95, um, four or five years ago, we brought her here for a Sunday afternoon talk. Um, and this was her first introduction, really, to Buddhism. Um, and she listened to a talk with very great interest given by Ajahn Vajiro um, on ten subjects for frequent reflection by one who has gone forth. And it was this one um, particularly which um, remains a kind of mantra for her. And she will often say to us when we see her, um, you know, how well are you using your time? <laughs> um, and so it just means so much because she spends, we know, a lot of her time in um, meditation and thought because that's the main thing that she's able to do since physically she's able to get around less 
that she's still all completely there, but spends a lot of her time doing what she can mm. with however long she's got at 95. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Personal service. <laughs> Can people hear me? I've never spoken yes. into one of these. Um, this topic this morning really touched me a lot, and we had quite a lot of um, discussion in our group about forgiveness. And for me, you know, when people are giving examples about mistakes they've made and things they've done and things that have got, gone wrong, quite often people will talk about forgiving the other person and saying, well, they did something bad to me, but I want to forgive them. I'm not particularly in our group today, but I've been aware of that. And I find that for myself, my problem is not that I blame other people for causing my misery, but I blame myself mm -hmm. for causing all the misery mm -hmm. and thinking, well, here I am trying to be aware. I should have known that what I said would upset them. I should, and no wonder they got angry with me. No wonder they did that because of the way I've behaved. Mm -hmm. And I've sort of taken this good little girl mentality about with me. And for me, that is not, I'm kind of realizing, that is not the way in which I'm best spending my time mm. because it prevents me from doing other things. Mm -hmm. So one of the meditations that I find very helpful is the one about recollecting your own virtues mm. because it's something that I haven't liked to do. Mm. I spent all my life being good, hmm. but then I try not to think about it because it might be selfish. I'm perfectly okay. Just It brings up a lot of emotions, so I know it's something to work with, but I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and it goes against the grain, actually. It's a really hard practice for me. So, oh, I don't want to show off, but... and. When I actually look at my life, I haven't been, you know, the first woman something or other, or a great explorer, or I haven't made lots of money. But I do feel that what I've done is with the best of intentions. Mm. And I, for me, it's valuable to celebrate that because it frees me up away from the remorse which bites again and again and again, and it makes it more productive. So that I also agree with Ajahn Bodhipala very much that if there is some, something that needs to be done to do it now mm. because I've got personal experience of finding that if I've got something festering having it out with the person in a kind way because I'm not very assertive it often yields great results mm -hmm. and I'm closer with the person after that Thank you. Uh, and thank you to everyone. Thank you, Alison. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. I hadn't only just occurred to me, uh, um, I didn't talk about this in the group, but um, uh, regret, remorse, and resolution. I was just thinking about um, 
I'm quite involved with, with work to do with healing from war, working for peace. And, um, and I was just thinking about how this resolution um, can connect, be connected to our kind of racial history as well. So I go to Israel and Palestine each year because I, I was born in a Jewish family just after the war. Um, and uh, and I'm very aware of the oppression of Palestinians, and it breaks my heart what's going on out there. So I go each year and I support peace work on both sides. And and then the last few years I've started going to Germany um, because I have feel I have some strong connection with German Germans as well, and I have friends that are Germans who feel many feel very bad about what happened in the war and I feel bad about what's going on with Palestinians so we, we have something in common there mm. and um, and I'm involved with, I've been going to um, uh, uh, concentration camps with Germans and um, just it's something to do with resolution can be involved with, um, it's like sometimes you feel that you're you're kind of like doing it for all your family like nobody in my family would go out to the West Bank in my Jewish family, my birth family, or would go to Germany and sometimes you feel like that you carry the um, it's not unpleasant mm -hmm. but you carry your ancestors with you mm -hmm. in what you're doing to do with uh, conflict resolution mm -hmm. Sometimes you feel that you're not just doing it for yourself, or mm. but you're doing it for your mm. other, other your ancestors, mm. and it feels like very valuable. Mm. You know, yeah. I just wanted to mention. That. Mm. Thank you, Sati. Sati. Should we just have just ten seconds pause? Yeah, just to take some of this on board. Just wait a little bit longer, perhaps. Just in a sorry, sorry. Bring a bit closer to your mouth. Is it working? No? Yeah, bit like closer. this? Yes, okay. Anyway, so I, I'm also practicing for my ancestors, but But what I wanted to say is about <clears throat> when there is really no time left, because when I started, when I was first introduced to Buddhism and meditation, 
it was back in Poland. And uh, it, my situation was such that I lived with my husband and my mother in one flat, which was very difficult. And my, my relationship with my mother was sort of loving and um, stormy since I was a teenager, really. And when I started meditating, my mother felt somehow very threatened by it. And being a very intelligent and educated person, she kept asking me silly questions like, so what are you meditating about? And things like this. And, <coughs> and I very quickly got this intuition that uh, she won't change, but I can change, and I can heal our relationship. And I really hoped for it, but about a year after I was practicing, or whatever I was trying to do, <laughs> uh, she died suddenly in front of me from a heart attack. Mm. And, and really, the, the moment before she died, we were in a kind of conflict situation about something which was the kind of continuous thing that whatever I was doing wasn't good enough and she had to correct it and you know so it's like I was like oh it's, it's been done and but you know she was she, 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 she was she had a really serious heart attack years ago which almost killed her so you know it wasn't that my wet killed her but I felt terribly guilty about mm -hmm. the fact that this was the sort of last thing she had from and uh, for a long time, I, I really didn't know what to do with it. Mm. But then I, I realized that I can work on my relationship with my mother, even though she's not here. I'm still doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, it, it takes various forms. Sometimes I talk to her, and sometimes I get answers. Mm -hmm. I mean, answers that in my head, but they somehow feel um, true. Mm -hmm. And because I practice with Thich Nhat Hanh, and he teaches us that we can invite anyone, really, but especially ancestors, and to practice or to sit with us, but especially for walking meditation. And I think one of the greatest gifts I've got from my mother was... Uh, sensitivity to nature and ability to draw joy from it and to notice things. I don't know where she got it from, but you know, she was always pointing things to me. How many shades of green can you see? Mm -hmm. Can you see those pebbles? And so on. So when I go on walks, I often invite my mother. <laughs> Thank you, Sophia. Thank you. Let us say that. I think this might be a good uh, point to have some silence of five minutes or so. I'd like to th just to thank everyone on behalf of everyone else for the, the deep heart sharing that we've just experienced or heard. <laughs>